Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. The last verse we read was verse 23 of chapter 7. Well, uh, sorry, verse 24 of chapter 7. Uh, we'll read the verse. There was no Rashi's on it. Um, and then we will uh, start with verse 25. So verse 24, to get us going. This is the last thing we discussed. Um, normally we would say that the word chafar means to, to dig, in which case the verse means <clears throat> that all of Egypt dug around the river uh, to, uh, for water to drink. Because <laughs> they couldn't drink from the waters of the river. And I believe we looked at the commentary of the Natsiv, who said that um, chafar can not only mean to dig, but also mean to search out, which means this works better here, because if it's to dig, they they didn't dig the water, and in the, the way the, the verse is constructed, it looks like the word mayim is the uh, direct object of chafar. They weren't digging water, they were digging for water. So therefore, he reads it as they were searching around the uh, areas of the river for um for water to drink because the water that was in the Nile itself is undrinkable. Okay, that's where we left off. And that brings us to verse 25. Were there any lingering questions or comments on verse 24 before we jump forward? No? Okay. Yes, Bill. Just thought about uh, whether there should be any relationship whatsoever between what this first plague is and what the Jews were asking. Speak up a little bit, Bill, because the only input is from this computer. With what the Egyptians are doing now, they're they're searching in, in desperation for water, whereas what Pharaoh required the Hebrew slaves to do just before was to find straw, where all they could find was stubble, uh, you know, fruitlessly trying to make the tally of bricks. So it's kind of a... Uh, in terms of modern Egypt? Well, in, in terms of what, what the Egyptians were now being asked to do, they were being asked to do uh -huh. it's impossible. Just like I see, I see. To do the impossible Got it. To make their tally. Cool. Right, nice. I'm not sure everyone on Zoom heard it that that the kind of the, the last the last major pronouncement of Pharaoh, aside from saying no, was basically saying, you want to leave, therefore I'm going to reduce the basic ingredients that I'm going to give to you, you still have to produce the same uh, quantity of bricks, which is which is naturally impossible. So the first thing the Egyptians are do are being asked to do is to do that which is impossible, which is to find water when there isn't. Interesting yeah. parallel. I had never thought about that. Thank you, Bill. We're all asked to do the impossible physically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Bill. Okay. Verse 25, everyone. Uh, Norm, do you want to read verse 25? Okay. Uh, uh, I think you skipped the line. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, and seven days were completed. Um, after that, after, I guess, after what happened was that Hashem uh, had smitten the river. Correct. After the smiting of the river by God, right? After, after it, it, it's a weird form. Hakot here really is a gerund, right? It's the, it's the smiting of the verb lehakot. So mm -hmm. after the, the smiting, after the smiting of God of the river, right? Um, okay. So 
in some ways a pretty straightforward verse. We're getting, we don't always get a sense of time in the Torah. Sometimes we have to guess how much time has transpired from the last scene to this scene. And now we're being told that a week has gone by. Um, before we look at the Rashi, be a, be an interrogator. What what about the verse, as we say, Omer Darshani says, you know, uh, investigate me because it's, de- it's deserving of investigation. Anything that, uh, this is for everyone, anything that jumps out of you, uh, Alan and then Renee. Why wait seven days? What's the significance of this seven days? Okay, right. So built into your question is almost an answer, right? It, it, it almost must be that seven has to mean something. Otherwise, why wait that long? And certainly why tell us that's that long? Okay, good. Uh, Renee? Why does it say Hashem struck the river when it was actually Aaron that struck it? Very interesting. Okay, so why is it not Hakot Aharon et Yehayor? Right, so, um, you know, why, why does the Torah kind of continue to give credit, as it were, to God as the author of the plagues, even though it's actually being functioned, the functioning of the plagues is happening via Aaron or Moshe's hands. Any other questions? Joel? Just uh, to piggyback on, and Alan, I think we talked about this, why does the word use the word Yemaleh? It's like, it's almost just like completing of a something. Correct. Happened to be seven days. It was a completion of some of a seven-day period. Correct. And so Baruch Shekivanta, because that's the direction the Rashi is going to go in. The word Malay suggests that had it been any less than that, it wouldn't have been full. Right. So, and there's a different way of saying that seven days transpired, right? This seems to say, if we're taking every word very seriously as we do in the Torah, that something like the full complement of seven days was completed. Right. As if to say that had only been six days, it would have six days would have passed, but it would not have been Malay. Malay means full. And anything that's not full is is unfulfilled. Right. Good. Any other questions on the verse? Before we look at Rashi. <laughs> I saw a hand go up and I'm like, whose hand is that? It was mine because I was <laughs> because it's far away. I'm like, who, 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 who's that? Who's that guy talking and pointing over there? I do not. I, I, I have so many questions. Yeah. I just want to read the, the translation. This is this okay. <laughs> it's, it's it's wrong, right? It says, and seven days were fulfilled. Come after that, eternal had smitten the river. After that, after that, <laughs> that seems to be a raw error, no, if no, I that's if I may. Formation. Oh, after a, that, after that, that's like right. I see. Not after that, comma. But, after uh, that, God had done this. I see. Yeah. Uh, but since we're there, let's see if there are any interesting translations uh, to look at. Um, I'll share the screen. One second. Okay, so um, which translation is this? So this, the current one is the that Torah Yashara, and the plague endured seven full days, suggesting that the, right, he takes the verb Vayimaleh and he actually turns it into an adjective describing the number of days. It endured seven full days after the eternal had struck the river, and he gets credit for that tra- translation to Rashi's grandson, the, Ram, the, the Rashbam. JPS, uh, JPS, um, what's going on here? That's chapter eight. Yeah, it like jumped for me. So bizarre. 
Um, you went too far back. You're, you're like five and six. Yeah, sorry. When seven days had passed after God had struck the Nile, he so JPS doesn't even do it as a sent, full sentence, doesn't say that, that they had passed, and it doesn't deal with Malay, just when seven days had passed after God had struck the Nile, comma, suggesting that this is halfway through a sentence. Um, Everett Fox. Seven days were fulfilled. There you go, Joe, right? So for, he's he's on your wavelength. He says seven days were fulfilled. He says the verb malay means something. It doesn't just mean transpire. After God had struck the Nile and Corin. After seven days were completed, after the Lord had smitten the river. What do you got? I don't have the, sorry, I don't have altar or cry again here. Okay. I have not, but I have, a, I have a, a comment and a question Okay. about the translation. So you, did you read the JPS one first? Did I read it first? I think I think you. The first one was Toria Shara by. Uh, no, but what's what's the translation of up there? Currently. Yeah. Currently, this is uh, the Koran. No, Mitsuda. Seven full days passed after Ad Adonoi had struck the river. <laughs> so read read the, read the JPS. The JPS, okay. Because it is significantly different. Uh, when seven days had passed after the Lord had struck the Nile? Continue. Right. It doesn't read as a full sentence. So, And there's a big difference, because the others are basically saying everything you need to know in this verse is contained in the verse. So the implication is that God struck the Nile, and then the Nile remained uh, plagued for seven days. At least that's my reading of all the other translations. Okay. Good. Right. But the JPS doesn't say that. The JPS says that when seven days had passed, after God had struck the Nile, something else happened, which we're going to read in the next verse. So there's no implication there. The plague lasted, at least in that translation, the plague lasted for seven days. I'm not following. Say it again. <clears throat> I'm sure you're, you're saying something important. I just can't follow it yet. <laughs> in all the other translations, there's an implication that this plague lasted for seven days. Which is certainly Rashi's position. Which is... Can I help you out here? Go ahead. Because you know, because there's a period, it suggests that the seven days that we're hearing about is the length of the plague as opposed to just the length until the next thing happens. Until then, right, exactly. I see. It's not clear right. that the plague is over yeah, yeah. this translation. Yeah. And then, we'll see, as, as Norman said, when we read Rashi, that's what's going, to be, what's going to be important. Right. So this could be one of those, according to the JPS, this is one of those verses which we have every once in a while which doesn't convey a complete thought and is simply an introduction to the next to the next verse. Right. Or it could be a verse which actually conveys all the information we need to understand that verse. Right. And what's interesting about JPS choosing to read it that way is that it ignores the structure of the paragraph because at the end of this verse, you have a ptucha. You have you ha you have the, the editor of the Torah pressing return, or at least no, yeah, return on the on the on the keyboard, as it were. So the Torah, as it's laid out in the scroll, does not think of this as half of a verse. It thinks of it as the end of a paragraph, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Those of you, some of you actually will see that in your Chumashim. There should be a big pay there saying mm -hmm. it's a Petucha. Christine uh, says the seven-day period was filled after Hashem struck the river. Right. So 
it's everyone agrees that there's seven days have transpired since the river was struck. The question is, are, are what we pulling from that verse that the plague itself lasted seven days or just the next thing that's going to happen in the story happened seven days after the river was struck? And it and is that significantly different? Uh, Rick. A question. So um, looking to the next sentence, because it's right there, doesn't mention the blood and the water anymore. So. Does that mean the blood never went back to water or it did after the seven days? Um, I'm just asking. I, I, I just assumed that uh, the plague stopped, it came and went, and then the next one came and went. But um, if it's still going on, that's that's totally different. So, Not I, never, so I never knew about that. I never realized the plague could have still kept going. It, it never says the blood returned to water. So. As, as we'll find out as we go slowly through these plagues, there are parallels and also non-parallels in terms of the way the Torah lays out the beginnings and the endings of the plagues, and not every plague ends. I don't know that we're supposed to then think that it continued, but we're not told that every plague ends, right? This plague, as 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 those who read ahead <clears throat> uh, um, see, we're, we're, we're already into the next plague very soon, with, and, and what the Egyptian courtiers did was not stop the plague. We talked about that last time. What they did was show that they also were able to turn their own water into blood, right? So sometimes they get any water to turn into blood from the Hebrews. Yeah. If all the water <laughs> to blood, what are they converting into blood? Yeah. Or maybe the, the, the water of the Hebrews did not turn into blood because otherwise uh, B'nai Israel would have suffered as well. And that so do we think that, that the sorcerers and witches <laughs> or warlocks were able to go to Goshen and show that they could turn that water into blood? Maybe. <laughs> right. So the court at that time, the capital at that time was in Goshen. So it's an interesting question that, right, that we didn't actually raise that question. We talked about this topic. We talked about <clears throat> the fact that it seemed odd that to show their power, they were doing the very thing to their own water supply as had been done to the water supply. <laughs> but you're asking a, a more subtle question, which is that whatever they're doing, they needed non-blood water to do it, apparently. So and and where would they have found it? It's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. They also need they also need water to live. And if all the water has been turned to blood, how were the Egyptians able to survive? Fear. Well, they weren't. Fear. That's the whole they point. The wells. No, fear. fear. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm out of water, I also turn to beer. Sometimes, sometimes even when I'm not out of water. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fight, fight, feisty crowd today. Uh, let's look at Rashi and Vayimale. I have your, I have your blessing to go forward. Rick, is your hand up again or still? Uh, again, please, uh, Uncleus, could you translate that, please? The Batar Dimcha. Yeah, the Ashlem Shivat Yomin. So Ashlem is a version of Malay. Completed. Yeah, yeah. Batar is Achar. That's just oh. De that Mecha. That's the Aramaic verb to smite or to hit, uh, that God had smited, had smouted the river. Yeah. Smote, I know. Um, okay, uh, Norm, please read the Rashi on Vayimale. 
לאלוהי מניעה. שבעש ימים Okay, so pause right there. And even, this will be another Rashi where his answer will be easier to discern than his question. Because he's asking, he's asking a question similar to what we've been asking about, but he's asking it on a technical, grammatical level. And I want to see if we can figure that out. So he when his first thing he says is, he says the word minyan. What does the word minyan mean as aside from what Michael wants to get us at the end. Right, a quorum, a, a fixed amount, a, a, a numbering, right? Limnot is to number. A minyan is that which has been numbered. Accounting, right? So I'm trying to ask this question without giving, a, giving away. What What is he saying when the first thing Rashi says is Vaimalei minyan? What's he saying? Why is he saying it? Or... Why is he adding the word in minyan in before shivat yamin, which is what the Torah says, right? Basically, the Torah has three words, vaimalei shivat yamin, seven days were filled. Rashi basically inserts a word to help to help us understand the sentence from his perspective. Vaimalei minyan shivat yamin. Is vaimalei singular? Yes, and? Shivat yamin is plural. Very good. Right, so he's getting to the problem in the verse through raw grammar. Vaimalei is. Masculine, singular, vavayipuch, past tense, right? It looks like it says, and it will fill. It means, and it and it filled and it was completed. But it requires a singular verb. Shivat yamim is not a singular idea. It's a plural idea. Anything more than one is plural. So Rachi says, the subject of the verb vaymalei doesn't appear in the verse. Or it's a conceptual subject, and I'm going to include it. What's the subject? Minyan. Minyan shivat vaymalei, minyan shivat yamim. A a collection of seven days, a complete quorum of seven days was completed. Right? So he's solving first the grammatical problem, and now he's going to tell you what he thinks that actually means. Okay? Shaloshab hayo or muto. Meaning what? Uh, Wait, I translate the previous four words. Oh, the previous four words. Um, oh, uh, the shaloshab. Uh... During which the river did not return to its original condition. Right. So this is Rashi's answering into the direction you were discussing, Larry, saying the full complement of seven days was filled during which the river stayed bloody. Okay. Now let's see where he goes with it. Shahita. Okay. Shahita Maka. I think you're in the... I'm in the wrong one. Uh that's a gimel, meaning three. That gim that gimel that you're seeing with a with a apostrophe is just a way of saying three. Oh, okay. Um Okay, so for seven days, the Nile stayed bloody, from which he's learning kind of a general principle about how all these plagues are going to go. For the plague, and I think by the by the word the plague here, he's meaning the way this is going to go. Each plague. Each, right, it's a, it's a way of saying each plague. Each plague 
mishameshet. It's a weird verb. It means to serve. It means it's going to be present for Raviyah Chodesh, right? It's not it's not precise math, right? It's more precise in a lunar month than it is in a in a solar month, right? Uh, because a lunar month is closer to uh, 28 days than a solar month. Um, uh, but it's going to be around for a fourth of the month. And the three other fourths, that's his way of doing three fourths. What does that mean? He, he warned them and cautioned them. Right. Um, means to kind of bring testimony, right? To right, tell, um, uh, he's going to tell Pharaoh, you know, exactly what's going to happen and warn them, right? So what Rosh learning from the um from the the what's the word the ghost word minyan that is not in the verse that we're learning something generalized about the way this these plagues are gonna go each plague represents a month which means it gives us a sense of the timing the plagues rashi is going to argue he's going to refer to later to last almost a year right it's not didn't happen one after the other and more time was spent trying to cajole pharaoh than smiting the Egyptians. I wonder, and I can't prove this, if if uh, underneath what Rashi is saying here is, is almost a way of saying, you reader are about to be exposed to God's fury. You reader are about to maybe wonder how to relate you know, to a benevolent God who is being so malevolent, maybe earned to the Egyptian people. And I, Rashi, am learning from the absence of this word minyan, but it's supposed to be there, that most of this time was actually spent trying to convince Pharaoh to give up and to relent and warning him and warning him and warning him and warning him. It's been three weeks. I'm warning you. All right, it's time for the next plague. That's that that that's the cycle, right? Rashi may not be saying that. That may be my 21st century mind wanting him to say that. But it's interesting to imagine his saying that of the month of time in between the plagues, only, quote unquote, only a week of it are the frogs everywhere about to see. Three weeks, three weeks of it are God through motion, Aaron saying to Pharaoh, "Please, you can end this. Right? You can it can all end right now." I see your hand about to go up, yeah. Alan. How does your theory reconcile with God's hardening Pharaoh's heart? Yeah. All the way through. That seems, it seems to be that the plan that was done even in Genesis, you're going to be staying here, that this is going to happen. Yeah. It doesn't say God, God hardens his heart. No, later on. No, I know it does later on, but in this one. Yeah, no, the first five are the, yeah. the passive and the, the other five are the active. I don't have a great answer to that, Alan. Right? I, I will. I will study <clears throat> this material and and still try to worship Hakadosh Baruch Hu for the rest of my life and not fully come to terms with how we're supposed to understand um, what the Torah is saying about God's role in human decision making and then the quote unquote punishments we get for the poor decisions. Right? Uh, I am moved by the notion that um, we see throughout the story that. Um, uh, one way of understanding God, um, God hardening the heart is underst understanding that the human condition is such that when you continue to do something over and over again, it becomes more part of you than you would like to think. 
and it's harder to change. And that is that is when God hardens your heart, right? Like if you're stubborn five times in a row, the sixth time, you're no longer in control because you're so used to being stubborn. And that's maybe what the Torah is saying. At that point, the way that God created humanity comes into being, right? And we all know that it's much harder to change behavior after we've habituated to it, right? So it's it's helpful for that read to see that, that in the beginning, as you were mentioning before, it's Pharaoh hardening his heart. And he had a chance on the second time to not harden his heart, but he didn't. He had a chance on the third time to not harden his heart, but he didn't. By the time he got to the sixth time, that's who Pharaoh was. He was a hard, he was a hard heart, right? And we mm-hmm. saw that actually, um, I think Rashi was talking about that on Vayechazak Lev Paro as a way of saying not that his heart became hardened, but it's describing his heart. He that that's the kind of person that he was, his heart to change that. But I don't have a great answer to it. Uh, Larry, and then Norm. Just a comment on your last response to, to Alan. <clears throat> First, which we've been talking about God's hardening Pharaoh's heart for a long, long time in this class. Yeah. The first time I remember was long before Shavuot when you inspired Joel and I to do that session. Yes. About hardening one's heart and psych up. Yeah. So I guess we're going we're gonna to continue to talk about it and not resolve it for a long time. I have an alternative view of how you read the, the verses and why the the um, works the 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 at the end of the verse. Petucha. Petucha works, mm-hmm. and that's that. Rather than be connected to the following verse, it's actually connected to the previous verse. And instead of a when, which JPS has, I would have put an until. So I would have put the vav to be an until. Mm. So they could not drink the water of the Nile. Until seven days has passed after God struck the Nile. End of paragraph. And now I'm happy. Very lovely. But Very I don't lovely. see anybody does that. No, 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 because that's why when you publish your <laughs> translation, it's going to be novel. <laughs> Is that a Calgary Flames hat? Yeah, this was a gift that I got from... Um, I'm just, sorry, everyone, I just noticed. Oppenheimer. No, it had it with the show. Um, it doesn't, how it ever comes anymore. Barry? Barry Oppenheimer. Oh. When he gave out gifts, I can't remember the occasion. It's a library minion for something, and uh-huh. my gift was a Calgary hat. <laughs> right. It's a nice hat. Nice looking hat. Okay. Anyone else on this? Oh, yes, Norm. Sorry. Um, I think Larry's... By the way, for all of you who are watching, <laughs> that's the hat. <laughs> Sorry, podcasters. I can't show you the hat on the podcast. Yes. It's a really good one. The idea of the seven-day period apparently comes from the Midrash. And um, this translation also suggests looking at Rashi on uh, Breshis 3827. All right. Which I can't do in this volume. Hold on. Let me pull it up. Breshit 30. I'm trying to think, imagine where that is. 3827. I know what Parsha it's in, but what could it be? 3827. 3827. All right. What does that have to do with the period being completed or fulfilled? Okay. So this is 3827. This is um, um, uh, um, the end of the story of Judah and Tamar, right? Uh, where Tamar pretends to be a harlot to, to catch Judah in his um, hypocrisy. Uh, and she uh, gives birth to twins. So the verse is, and it was when it came time at the time of is also a gerund, her giving birth. Behold, they were twins in her belly. Let's see what Rashi says. Okay. 
Uh, let's open it so we can see it here. Uh, all right. Uva Rivka Huomer, when it comes to Rivka's giving birth, it says, Yameha Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, that when it comes to Rivka, the, the verb is Malay, meaning that the proper amount of time had been filled. That suggests that Rivka's pregnancy was full term. And this is Rashi saying that the Torah, when the Torah says, um, that it was the, it was the time that for her to give birth, or when she gave birth, as opposed to saying that her pregnancy was completed, it suggests that they were preemies, right? Which, by the way, happens oftentimes when you have twins. That there, when Rivka was giving birth to her twins, um, it was full term. Here, it was short of the full term. Yeah. Um, so it's I, the commentary is saying it's another place where Rashi is saying that that the the presence of the verb malay suggests a, a certain appropriate amount of time being completed mm-hmm. and the absence of it suggesting that it was not completed yeah great okay uh let's go to uh verse 26 uh, please tova go on to the next i'm going back so just project a little bit more if you don't mind i'm sorry just project the more for the project a little more yeah okay <laughs> Um, yeah, I wanted to um, bring some information on verse 22. I know I wasn't here that day, but Rick had asked me to do some research on um, whether the um, magicians, the Egyptian magicians, would have whispered, because that was one of the translations. So I actually did a good deal of reading in my library, uh, and uh, it's really unlikely, that interpretation is really unlikely, because the practice of Pekka or magic as it's translated here was very dependent on one having a clear intention of what you wanted to accomplish. And then what they call enunciation, which is speech and speech that can be heard. Mm. Now that doesn't mean they're doing it in front of a crowd. It is secret. So it would be in the inner sanctuary of the temple perhaps, but it would be enunciated clearly so that it could be heard. And not a lachash, not a whisper. Not a whisper. Absolutely not a whisper that I looked extensively, and there's a whole section that I brought this actually because I thought Rick was going to be here. I forgot he's usually on Zoom uh, for him called Creative Speech because they had a concept very similar to the description of Reishi that the way things came into being was an intent was formed and a word was spoken. Speech was speech was the active, effective part that brings mm. it about. Baruch Shamar Yaolam, right? Exactly. Blessed be God who spoke and the word comes to being. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, so they're very similar there. Um, and and that, the, the concept of Hekka, which I think really tragically gets translated as magic for us because we think magic, trickery, falsehood. There was nothing false about it in the Egyptian mind. It was the way the world functioned. The world came into creation through Hekka. Mm. And in a smaller way, priests were able to carry out small changes. Basically, Hekka was a change accomplished through unseen means. Unseen means. Unseen means, mm. right. Voice can't be seen, it can be heard. but it's, right. um, And the other thing that I ran across, because I was looking... Unless you're at Sinai, and it says, Vayar Takolot. Right. That, 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 that the people saw <laughs> the sound. Or if you live in Southern Connecticut, in which case you could see... The Long Island Sound. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a Southern Connecticut thingy. Okay, go ahead. The the other thing that I ran across was 
one of the likely um, translations of the kind of priests, because they would have been priests, not magicians, priests who would have done this work of emulating what Moses and Aaron were doing, the title would likely have been something like Hartem, which made me think of Hartumian. Oh, wow. I know it's derived from a root that's related to engraving in Hebrew, but it just really hit me that wow. that's in fact what the Egyptian would have been wow. for those kind of priests. Um, and the final thing that I ran across, and it kind of relates to what we touched on, I haven't looked at it as much, is that I, I found a, a list of the three terms used for what's sometimes translated as hardening of the heart. Kaved is one of them. And that that one is only used when it's Pharaoh that is doing it. And that really struck me because Kaveh can mean both heaviness, but also honor, you know, mm. weight of honor or praise. And in the earlier part, and it's like the, what you were saying, that he, that he is doing something to himself that eventually becomes unbreakable. Mm. But it's like what he's doing is... Um, by ignoring the challenge and and accepting mm -hmm. the power that he feels that he has, you know that that's sort of the honorific praise. But at the same time, he's, as Rick has pointed out, increasing the heaviness of his heart, which in the Egyptian context means he's weighing down that scale that's going to lead to the destruction of his soul, mm -hmm. literally. And um, that seemed very striking. I want to look at it more, but but that that is what he's doing to himself in the beginning. Thank you, Tova, anyway, for all of those. Um, so your that your was, that was for Rick. <laughs> your description of well, heck, hecke. Yes, heart, heart heart. So it's heart heart and the tip. Uh, but it would be H-A-R-T, and then the P is a little. Far but the that. word that you're saying is not easily translated into magic was hecke. Oh, Hekka. Oh, Hekka. Sorry. Magic. Yeah. yeah. Hekka is a very fundamental yeah. concept. It, Hekka. It's a. It's for the word Hecate. The, the goddess Hecate. Uh -huh. That comes from Hekka. It's another great example of the impossibility of translation yeah. over time, yeah. right? A single noun represents there are thousands of layers of what a civilization understood to just be true about the world yeah. and so to try to convert that into the closest possible modern analog yeah. in the in the language called english it's just it there's no way to do it um i i i speak about this all the time but i did it in my meditation last week on tuman tahara right there's 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 just no way of really rendering tame and tahor into modern english in a way that really gives you a, a like a scintilla of the understanding of what it might have meant to an ancient Israelite, right? And pure and impure are the worst translations, but it takes a class to explain what that one word means. And so magic may be the best, you know, use of Arabic letters in the English language to render that word, but it you have to, you need a, you need a master's degree to understand, right? What really that, that concept meant. So thank you for that. Okay. Great. Um, let's go to verse 26, correct? Uh, whom have we not uh, heard from? Rebecca, do you want to read verse 26 for us? Okay. Vayomer uh, Adonai el Moshe bo el paro va'amarta elav ko amar Adonai shalach et ami vaya'avduni. 
And before she translates, because some of you already kind of think about the words, in Rashi's mind, he's going to suggest that what we're about to read took three weeks of time, right? Keep going. Um, and God said to Moses, come unto Pharaoh and say to him, mm-hmm. thus, says, thus says God, um, well, let my people go. Send out my people that they may serve me. Right. And, and, and a version of this sentence is going to happen many, many times in these, in the, in these verses, right? Where the, the intermezzo in between the end or the waning of the previous plague and the, the next plague is, I'm giving you a chance to send them out. And, sometime, and, and the exact language of what they should do when they come out changes. Here, it's a one word, vaya abduni, that they may serve me, that they may um, uh, worship me, okay? Uh, Rashi is quiet on the verse. Um, maybe he's quiet because it's a kind of a repeating verse and he probably said something about this, you know, the, the first time uh, this is mentioned. But the fact that Rashi is quiet in the verse does not suggest that we have to be quiet in the verse. Any thoughts on the verse or questions? Yes, Diane? So there's kind of an implication here that the plague is continuing, that it would be a much, they would be in a much stronger position to go to Pharaoh if this plague is continuing and say, hey, you want this to end? All you got to do is let uh-huh. us go out and serve you. Right, right. As opposed to having it already been completed, in which case their incentive is lowered. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else on the verse? Yes, Joel. And this is the second time he's asking, right? Uh, one before the plague. Well, yeah. I That's think. The whole yeah, I think that uh, if you look back at um, verse tw- sixteen, right? This is within what God says to Moshe for what he's going to do. The Marta Elav, and you and you, Moses, should say to him, Pharaoh, and this is God speaking, but God telling Moses to speak, Adonai Avrim Shalachani Elecha, Adonai the God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, Lemor, to say, quote, this is that verse that had like quotation instead of quotation instead of quotation. Shalach et amivi abduni, almost exact same language, except that it's yeah, actually the exact same words. Uh, send my people that they may worship me except the, the, that verse adds the word uh, Bamidbar, and that you had not answered up until then. I I don't remember. It, it came up earlier. Yeah, that they will send my people. And this is before the doubling of the bricks. Is that right? Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but go ahead, Joel. What were you going to say? So it's, it sounds like as time goes on, their demands get stronger I mean, the first time is just let them go out for a time period just so they can, what's the verb? Lachgogli, to do a festival to me. Yeah. And then it's, and now it's to, to worship me, and to worship me in the desert, and it's to worship me. And so it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of like opening the door for that. You know, this is going to end up being a permanent thing. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to just looking ahead quickly what the next one is. Um Many more verses to get through the um, the frogs. Um, well, when we get to the next one, we'll have that comparison. Elon. Yeah, just a grammatical question, which is, um, it says, Marta, I love. Isn't that, and he said to him, and why would that be translated, uh, and say to him? 
Right. Would, so it's it's that vav uh, ha'ipuch that the that in biblical Hebrew it takes a verb that looks future and renders it past, and takes a verb that looks past and renders it future. So you take the word take the vav out. Amarta is um, you said. Depending on how it's used in the in the Torah, the amarta is and you will say. Even though you will say in without the vav ipuch, it's just is tomar. So it just it flips it around. Um, so it, it it does look like a past tense verse verb. It's used as a future tense verb because of that vav ha'ipuch, right? And a vav at the beginning of a of a of a uh, of a verb like that sometimes is a vav ha'ipuch, which literally means the vav which flips around. Hofech means to uh, turn something over from past to future, future to present. But sometimes it doesn't do that, and you have to figure it out by context. But you're right that it doesn't look like that's what it says. Uh, Norm? After the frogs, it's different. We don't have this sort of demand, because Pharaoh seems to be taking them seriously and asks Moshe and Aaron to, end this, to get this plague to end. Uh-huh. And Moses, so and he will then let them go. I see. So Without period of time and he makes this offer and Moses and Aaron comply with the demand and then Pharaoh minutes. Got it. Got it. Which goes back to Diane's comment as to whether or not we should be thinking that in this moment is there is there or is there not still blood in the in the Nile, right? Uh good. All right. So that was uh, a worthy expansion of that verse. Uh Rebecca, you didn't get a Rashi, so do the next verse, please. Which is still in the print, in the quotation marks, right? So just to keep track, God is saying to Moses, and He's saying to Moses, when you go to Pharaoh, this is what should you say to him, and what you should say to him is, this is what God had said. So it's three levels of quotation marks, um, and I think we're we should understand the beginning of verse twenty-seven to be outside. Um, no, sorry, within that third level of quotation marks, because it's God telling Moses. To say to Pharaoh what God had said. Go ahead. Ve'im ma'en ata l'shaleach hine anochi nogef et kol gavulcha but safar de'im. And if you refuse to to send them out, uh, behold, I will smite all your borders with frogs. Good. And going back to Elon's question, there's there's interesting use of tense in this verse. And remember that um, a cousin to what I was saying to Tova before, tense just means something different in modern English as it did in biblical Hebrew. It's not quite three tenses the way we think of it now, but in the middle of this verb, of this, of, of this verse, you've got a present tense verb, right? So, if you refuse and we'll discuss in a moment what how to understand even the word ma'ain. But if you refuse to send, behold, ani nogef, I am smiting, I am plaguing. It doesn't say anochi egof, that I will, right? So how to understand why in the middle of this verse that God is telling uh, Moses to say to Pharaoh what God said, it's switching to a present tense verse, a verb, and maybe just present tense meant something different to them at, the, at your entire border with Sfardim. Look for a moment um, at the Aramaic. Uh, sometimes in the, in the Unculus, sometimes there are one-to-one um, uh, switches of letters from Aramaic to Hebrew, uh, like um, um, the an ayin is some a, 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 a 
Hebrew tzadi is sometimes rendered in a, in a word, an Aramaic ayin. Here, and I do not know nearly enough about um, the etymological relationship between Hebrew and Aramaic to know why, but I just pointed out the word for frog is urda'ania, where the ayin of the Aramaic has taken the place not only of a tzadi in Hebrew, which happens all the time, right? Eretz is, is Hebrew, ara where the tzadi becomes an ayin in Aramaic, or maybe the other way around. Here, the ayin in Aramaic has taken place of the tzadi and the pei, which is interesting to, to point out, right? It's clearly the same word, but the, the resh dalid ayin of the end of the noun frog is the same, and the place of the tzfa in Hebrew is an ah oh in Aramaic. I don't know why, and I never, I haven't seen that before that I'm aware of. Um, okay. Uh, we, Questions, comments on the verse before we start looking at the Rashi. Floor is open. Yes, Diane. So I'm, I just want to point out that even in English, our use of present tense to mean future is is very common. We we don't have a really strong future tense like other languages do. Mm. So we say, this afternoon, I'm going to the store. Nice. Or I'm eating at a restaurant or whatever. We often use present tense for future. Yeah, you know, I don't know what the ch- what's the chicken and what's the egg here. Does 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 the language form follow the thinking, or does the thinking follow language form, or both? I wonder if it's shorthand way of saying. So, in that moment in the future, imagine me doing this, right? So here we are in that future moment tomorrow that I've explained to you. And what am I doing tomorrow? I am going shopping, right? It's like I, I've I've placed us in a future moment, and then I describe what I'm going to be doing there as if it's happening in real time. So if you read that into here, right? So if you if you refuse to do that, behold, you will be witnessing me smiting all of your borders with frogs, right? Um, not, I can't, I don't know if that's, that's true, but, it, but I wonder if that's what's behind some, t- some languages describing future events in the present tense, right? As if we're, we've been placed into the future and therefore once we're in the future, it's happening in real time. So, I mean, that's a really broad question just about language in general, which is why it's so hard to do translation, um, but also why you don't really understand um, civilization or culture if you don't understand the language. Yeah. By the way, I think we also do it in past tense, right? Um, Colloquially, I can say all the time, what is Rashi doing in this verse, right? Clearly he did it, but it's like we jump back into Rashi's hut in Troy and we're saying he's reading this verse and what Rashi reads in this verse is, so we throw the present tense verb into the future and the past. Uh, and I wonder, I, I never thought about this before. I wonder if it's because we're we're placing ourselves in that moment and then experiencing that moment that happened or that will happen as if it's happening. Yeah, I see hands on the, on the Zoom for one second. So I see Rick and then Barbara and then uh, Alan. Uh, hi. Uh, hi. Question: Why are the frogs coming from the borders, the Gavulcha? Why not? Why isn't it? Why aren't they coming from the river, or the water? Okay, so uh, you know, for someone who who reads ahead, you, you, I didn't. Know, I didn't. No, but this time you should have. Uh, <laughs> the next verse gives us a lot of details to where they're going to come from. 
I'm not sure is supposed to understand that this is where they're coming from, but basically saying the, the, the niggy that I'm going to do, the plaguing that I'm going to do is going to reach all of your borders. Not that they're coming from the border countries, but I'm going to make sure that this negative, this plague extends to your borders. That's my read of that verse. Uh, but we'll get the details about how the frogs are going to come in the next verse, which we'll read about in a month. Barbara. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to figure out why uh, 26 and 27 are two separate sentences. Uh -huh. If you take 27 just by itself, and it says, if thou refuse, which sounds like he's talk, God, Hashem is talking to Moses and not Hashem talking to Pharaoh, to let them go, behold, I will smite all the borders. But in this case, really, it should starts with, thus say, you, you almost could have ended the 26 with, before thus saith the Lord, let my people go, that they may serve me, and if thou refuse to let them go, because we're going back, you know, that he's talking to, to telling Moses to talk to Pharaoh. Is there, can you, is there any? Well, it's a long sentence, right? And the Torah, it's a long speech, a long-ish speech. Right, right, right. And why is it divided? I don't understand. I mean, you probably can't explain it. But to me, it's peculiar that it was divided like that. Right. So the rest of the chapter is one quote. Right. So in what you just said, Barbara, was one idea. But if we were punctuating this, what you had just said right now, we'd have put several periods in. Right, because because sometimes it takes more than one sentence to to articulate an idea. So I think you're right that if, that that 27 is an extension of 26. We're still within the quotation marks, and as Norm said, we're going to stay there for quite a while. But uh, unless everything is a run-on sentence, like I'm doing right now, there are periods that come in to say this is the end of a and th end of a grammatical sentence, a, a collection of words, even though it's not the end of the thought. Right. Uh, Alan? Yeah. Pass. Pass? Okay. Um, Norm? Barbara mentioned that it's translated if they refuse to let them go, but it can also be translated if you are a refuser. You're a refuser, somebody just refuses all the time. Right. So hold that thought and let's read that in the Rashi because that's the direction the Rashi is going to go in. So, um, uh, Rebecca, we'll probably end with this. Vim ma'en ata, and if you refuse, vim sarban ata, ma'en kamo. So the first, when Rashi takes, like he did in the previous verse, he takes words from the verse and adds a word or replaces a word, but otherwise keeps it the same. It's his way of saying what I really think these words mean are, or or to make it more easy to understand, is replace the word ma'en with sarvan. So ma'en looks like a verb form. If you are, if you refuse as a verb, what does sarvan mean? Lissarev means to refuse. But a sarvan, when you have a nun ending at the end of a verb, you've turned the verb into the, describing the person doing it, right? Like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example that you would know. Um, batlan. Batlan, very good, right? So levatel means to nullify something. A batlan is someone who sits around and does nothing, right? And there are other examples as well. So the first thing Rashi says is, it looks like a verb in the verse, ma'ain, but I read it as the noun describing the person who acts that way. If you are a refuser, as Norm said, now keep going. Ma'ain, kamo, ma'ain, 
Masarev. Uh, and if you're a refuser, uh, if you're stubborn, mine says, uh, ma'ain uh, is like ma'ain, refusing. Right. So he's he's saying a lot. He's saying a lot very very tersely. He says the the form ma'ain should really be understood as mi'ma'ain, the one who, um, because, and, and the reason he says that, and he's not, he's not saying it, but you have to understand it, is that if you understand, if it was just ma'ain, it would mean stopping someone else from doing something, as opposed to you're not doing something. So read ma'ain as mi'ma'ain, the one who refuses, like Misarev, the one who refuses, and another way of saying misarev, the one who refuses, is to put into a noun, a refuser. Ella. Ella, kinui ha'adam, al-shem, hamif al, kamo, and iov, shalev, shoket, sarv tsaif. Good. So these are the very one verses I did not was not able to pull up beforehand because my computer wasn't working. So let me pull them up right now. So first one was EO. Can you just give me the um station? EO of what? Do you have it? 1612. Okay. So what, what he's gonna say here is Pikayun, right? I, I'm not sure it really changes so much the meaning of the verse, but if one of you wants to make the argument that it does, I'm all open to it. But he's saying, um, so even though it it could should have been mimmaein or missa missarev, ella kina kina means a kinui is a nickname in modern Hebrew, but kina basically means to I don't know how to say it in one word in English, like to to render the word this way rather than that way, right? So the rather the Torah he, um, dis, he rendered it as describing the uh, the man the person al shem hamifal based on the thing that that person does on this um based on the action as opposed to just using a verb describing what he's doing kamo shalev okay so let's look at this is it on the screen 1612 shalev haiti i had been shalev is often understood as being tranquil right but it's 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 not it's describing the person as a tranquiler, as opposed to mishalev, that I that I acted tranquilly. So it's very common. You take the you, you you take something that could be described as an adjective, but you render it as a noun describing the person as someone who does that does that idea, right? So that's shalev. The next one is uh, shoftim eighteen seven. One second. Uh, Shoftim 18 7. Okay. Laisha. That five men went out and went to Laish. They, they looked at all the people that were in their midst. Yoshevet Ladetach, living safely and carefully. Kimishpat Sidonim, like the Sidonians. Shoket uvoteach. They were, uh, it's interesting, even the translation helps Rashi. The translation renders it as a tranquil and unsuspecting people, meaning not as the adjective tranquil and unsuspecting, but the word actually describing them as the type of people that they are. And the last one is sarvizaef. Let's look at that one. Well, that will close. Um, what is that citation? 
It is First Kings twenty one four. First Kings twenty forty three. Is it twenty one four? Mm. Mine says forty three. Mine oh. says forty three. Let's see who's right. Hmm. Maybe it appears in two different places. Okay. Melech Israel al Beto, the king of Israel, went to his back to his house. Sar Vizaif. Um, in this translation, it's describing it as an adjective, right? That he was he was dispirited and sullen. But the way Rashi is reading it is these are descriptions of a type of person, a a, a, a depressed person or a sullen person, as opposed to just a raw adjective. The proof texts are not perfect. Um, but and, and it's not even clear why Rashi is spending so much time saying this, but just so we understand it before we go on to the next uh, Rashi, which will be next time, the word ma'ain is describing um describing Pharaoh in God's in God's language as if you continue almost if you continue to be a refuser, which is slightly different than saying if in this moment you refuse. It's that would have been misarev. Uh, if you show yourself to be a refuser, all these things are going to come upon you. Uh, I know that was a little bit um, in the weeds of the grammar. Questions, comments before we close? Norm, last comment. I think there's a big difference between one who refuses and one who is a refuser. Because, for example, somebody who smokes a cigarette once, that doesn't make him a smoker. But if he smokes many cigarettes over a period of time, He's a smoker. Yeah. And in the same way, if Pharaoh refuses, that's just something where Pharaoh did. Yeah. But if he's a refuser, it's a pattern. We can expect him to constantly be refusing. Yeah, interesting. So that may be what's going on here. And um, um, and it all has to do with this, this topic that's going to be lingering for months with us, which is the relationship between habituation and character and how much is in your control and when and how hard it is to change who you are and what you do. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.